0: You know, Louis Pasteur was a microbiologist whose discoveries revealed that germs truly were real and they caused disease, even though they were invisible. But there was a vast majority of people who couldn't fathom or believe his claims that somehow, like, invisible particles are are in the air making me sick. The thought that there's an invisible world out there that that somehow impacts my daily life, uh, that was a bit far-fetched for some people during Pasteur's day. But here in 2020, can we just admit we have no problem understanding this. We are very aware that there is an invisible world around us that can impact us daily. Not just invisible germs, aerosol particles. Like, where are they? But they're real. We don't struggle anymore with the thought that, that there's a world around us that's invisible, impacting us daily. And we're going to talk about this very thing in God's Word, because the Bible does claim but there's an invisible world, a spiritual world that affects you, affects me, affects us every single day. And like the people of past year's time, many feel that this is just preposterous. You're telling me there's an invisible spiritual world out there that, that impacts my life? Come on. Well, today we're finishing up our Ephesians series. We're we're in Ephesians 6. We've been going through this book of the Bible. And and Paul ends with a very practical and interesting imagery and some things for us to do. And so today's topic is, is already already impacting every area of your life. Your home, your work, your mental health, your level of peace and joy, how much anxiety you're dealing with. The list goes on. Today's topic impacts all of those every single day. And just like the people of Pasteur's time, we are completely unaware of this reality. And very few are vigilantly fighting against it. Before we get ourselves to Ephesians 6, I want to I ask you a question for you to answer there on your own. Because it leads us into some things. It's an important, it's important place to start. Do you believe that there's an actual devil? Like, is Satan real? What do you think about that? Did you know that only one-third, only one-third of professed Christians polled about this, said they actually believe there's a real Satan? Two-thirds of people who profess to be Christians don't believe in the devil. But what, what does the Bible say about the devil? Or evil and its champion, Satan? The same Bible, the same Bible that says, you know, love God, love people, the same Bible that says God is love and that you are forgiven, that same Bible that says those things we just love talks about the devil. And not in like symbolic terms or, or, or veiled references. And Jesus, the Savior, the embodiment of the love and compassion we love, the one we strive to be like, he talked about Satan. And when he talked about him, he didn't use figurative language. Instead, he talks about him as if he, like, as if he knows him. And Jesus says in John eight forty four, the devil doesn't hold any truth for there's no truth in him. And that when he lies... He speaks his native language, for he's a liar. He's the father of lies. Everything the devil speaks is a lie. Jesus speaks of him in real terms. And at one point, Jesus claims, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He's not talking figuratively. And so I have to say this, and I have to be careful, because I know there are those of us engaging right now who who just don't believe in the devil. You believe in angels, but not the devil, The Bible is not gray about this topic. The Bible doesn't leave wiggle room. To believe the truth of Jesus and not the truth of an enemy takes some serious spiritual gymnastics to get there because Jesus spoke with authority on the subject of Satan and demons. He he faced them, He, he talked to them, he talked about them. The belief that there is no Satan runs in direct conflict with the words of Jesus and the words of the Bible. I don't say this to convince you. I say this to challenge you. When it comes to the spiritual reality, what or who gets the final say in your life? Who gets to, who gets to say whether that's true or not? God's word or maybe our comfort and our feelings about the matter? And with that, let's turn to Ephesians 6. Because Paul's going to talk about the spiritual warfare. He's going to talk about these things, and, and he just assumes that we already know it and believe in it. So that's why I started with those questions. Ephesians 6, verse 10, he says this, Finally, like after all I've written you about the amazing truths of Jesus and the church and the family, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says be strong in God's mighty power. And the word here means endowed power. This is power given to you. Be strong in the power of God that, that He's given to you. He says, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the enemies. I'm sorry, against the devil's schemes. We're told to put on this armor, and Paul, and we're going to get into this in, a little later on, but, but we do so th- so we can stand. And the word for stand here is, is a combat readiness of a soldier. In fact, standing is the first thing taught in unarmed combat. If you've ever taken a martial arts class, you know, jiu-jitsu or taekwondo, boxing, whatever, you start with your fighting stance, how you stand. Fighting stance shows your readiness for whatever's about to come at you. And in the spiritual world, your posture reveals your purpose. I mean, if you're slouched spiritually in shame, or if you're just spiritually reclining in indifference, you're not ready for the combat that that Paul is going to talk about here. So what are we standing against? He says we're standing against the schemes of the devil, against the cunning plans that come against you. 2 Timothy 2.26 says this, that there are traps of the devil set to ensnare you. First thing, put on the armor so you can stand against the enemy and the plans that he has to harass you and hold you. And why? Because verse 12, Paul gets clear. He says, just so you know, our struggle, our battle, it's not against flesh and blood, it's against rulers, it's against authorities, against the powers of this dark age, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like, our struggle isn't here, it's spiritual. The word struggle here means wrestle. It means hand-to-hand. This is close-quarters combat, personal combat. The enemy has schemes specifically set against you to spike your anxiety, to to inflame your anger, to continue to drown you in depression. The battle is real, and the battle is personal, and it's tailor-made for you. And notice, the, the battle is not against people. Not against flesh and blood, you know, reminding you that your husband or your wife, your spouse, isn't your enemy. Your coworker that you're in conflict with, they're not your enemy. Your enemy is the spiritual force that is dead set on destroying your marriage. Your enemy is the spiritual force that, that wants to divide and conquer and, and make you think that your coworker is your enemy. Or that person on TV, that's your enemy. But God is clear here. The Bible is clear our battle is not horizontal our battle is vertical so so can we admit if that's the truth we have to admit that that the enemy has been very active and very successful in this year of 2020 i mean so many relationships friendships marriages are are breaking or broken or just done because of the polarizing issues of this year i mean we have masks a piece of fabric has divided families and broken friendships. What name you check in a box in a private poll, well, that has broken up lifelong friends. 2020 has pitted us against them on issues that are big and issues that are small. But the Bible makes clear that our enemies, are our battle isn't against each other. This isn't a Republican and Democrat battle. That's not what's happening here. The real battle, what matters most, is not your opinion on a mask ordinance. The battle that is destroying your peace and your joy and your relationships and your heart is a spiritual one. And you have an enemy who's taking the fight to you. And so we better have some ways of defending ourselves. And this is where Paul goes, led by the Spirit, Paul goes into verse 13. Therefore, because we have this enemy, because we have a spiritual warfare, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, like when you're attacked, you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Put on. It says he goes, put on the full armor. It's, It's accurately translated, take up. It's an active action, and the language actually has a prefix here added, which means repetitively. So we are to take up the armor again and again and again. We must put on our armor daily and repeatedly. It says to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And the next verse then goes into stand firm. It's three stands in a row. Stand your ground. Stand after everything and stand firm. What's Paul getting at? He's reminding us to be in your fighting stance. Be ready because the attack is coming. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 echoes this. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Stand against the enemy. Now, Paul lists some specific parts of the armor here that we're to put on. He says, first of all, put the belt of truth buckled around your waist. First and foremost is the belt of truth. Why? Because your enemy, as we learned, is the father of lies. Because the Bible also calls him the accuser of the believers, which means that he just speaks constant accusation. Those accusations are lies because that's his native tongue, he will whisper condemnation against you. He will will whisper shame against your identity. God says you're a daughter, a son of the Most High, who who is loved and forgiven. But the accuser, I mean, your enemy, he's going to come at you with every sort of accusation to make you believe that that there's no way you are who God says you are. Paul goes on, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. This protects our our chest and our back. And and righteousness means the state of being acceptable to God. So, So you're acceptable to the Father. Now, we are righteous. We are acceptable to God, not by our good works, but by the good works of Jesus the belt of truth claims and says you are forgiven the be- the breastplate says that you are acceptable but the lord of lies loves loves to remind you of your sin and that your righteousness well, that's just a lie you're not acceptable to god what if i mean what if people knew what you did god knows what you did i mean he loves to whisper those things and again the truth of god the belt of truth the truth of god's word is what is is what combats and fights these constant accusations Verse 15, he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's these, these shoes of readiness. Part of our armor is, is, is a nice pair of shoes. Readiness means preparedness, always being ready to go where needed. Now, now, if you have a pen and paper, write this down. The one thing you can begin to offer God that will change everything for you spiritually, the one thing is readiness, is availability. Make your life available to him ready to go where He leads you, to do as He asks, to, to say what He would ask you to say, prepared to stop what He would ask you to stop. You do that. You make yourself available to God, and you will see huge transformation. Readiness, availability, these are spiritual game changers. And these shoes, they're, they're ready and available to spread the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news of Jesus. It's amazing that God leaves the spreading of His greatest truth in the hands of people like you and me and he's outfitted us for it with some shoes of availability to go wherever he would ask us to go to speak to whoever he'd asked us to speak to he doesn't just leave this to some believers it's not like just the extroverts who have this no 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 Or the seminary people it's all believers are fitted with shoes of the readiness to take god's greatest truth the gospel the good news wherever he would ask us verse 16 in addition to all this take up the shield of faith With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith in Jesus is an active shield against the enemy's accusations. Extinguishing the flaming arrows, it says, that he shoots. Again, this assumes two things there is an enemy, and he's actively against you. Your faith is what defends you from his attacks. Here's the question. It's always fun for me to think about. What, what size is your shield of faith? Like, has your, How much has your faith grown over the years? What, what if we had a moment where we could see into the spiritual realm? What if we could see our armor for just a second? What, what, how big would your shield be? It'd be so interesting. I, I think a lot of people are out there, and, and they have a shield of faith that's the size of a quarter. We're defending our hearts. Our identity, our spiritual life, from an active enemy with, with a tiny shield that only knows that Jesus was born on Christmas and he rose again on Easter. And that's what we're using to combat the enemy. For many of us, it, it's, it's far past time to grow our faith. If there's a battle like the Bible is saying here, we need to be able to block these attacks. Next piece of armor is this. It says, take the helmet of salvation. But the word take here, it's not the same word we've been using of take up. No, no, no. This word here for take, it means to take something that's been given to you. Because salvation isn't something you seize. Salvation is something you you receive. Salvation is something you achieve through good work. Salvation is something you receive through the good work of Jesus. You just receive his gift. In battle, in, in actual battle, the helmet protects your head which is the command central of, of everything that the soldier would do, it's vital that your head's protected the most during battle. God's helmet of salvation protects what, what keeps us, our whole self, moving and active in battle. When we have this armor, and we're told to, to wear it and to stand against the enemy's attacks the attack of the evil one. We have the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. Now, obviously, these aren't spiritual plates of armor. They're spiritual. They protect us. It says here they protect us, but the question's always, well, how? Like, we can't see into the spiritual world. I, I don't know what it looks like. How do they protect us? Well, how does the enemy attack? What are his schemes? Or maybe you're thinking, man, I'm not even sure that Satan is real, Pastor, But but at least tell me what he would do against me. What he would do. So I have a a question for you. It's an interesting one. Just to begin to open this up, here's a question. What if every thought you had wasn't your own? I I know. You're wondering what I'm smoking, but let me just get to this. What if the flaming arrows mentioned earlier, the ones we defend against, what what if those are actually evil thoughts? But what if the spiritual battleground is our, is our, our head and our hearts? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, Paul talks about spiritual warfare again, and he says our weapons are from God, and he says our weapons are to destroy speculations of the enemy and to take every thought captive, the, that the battle is in our thoughts and we destroy the enemy's speculations. The Greek word here gives us insight into how the enemy attacks us, he attacks you with speculations. We already talked about the accusations of shame. The other one is speculations. Have you ever been driving down the road or going about your day doing, doing something completely normal and out of nowhere this terrible and tragic thought just, just hits you? Seemingly random, uh, just destructive from out of nowhere. Or, or lust fantasies or anger fantasies or or pity thoughts, or, or fantasies about, you know, destroying that coworker in an argument at work, or, or thoughts of dying. I mean, speculations. What if? It's those what if scenarios that, that just snipe us out of nowhere. What, what, if, what if my child dies? What if I have COVID or cancer? What, what, what if my, my husband or wife is having an affair? And they hit us out of nowhere, and what do they do? They immediately spike anxiety. Like, like a wildfire, almost as if a flaming arrow had ignited it. So what do these thoughts do? What, exa- what, what, what reaction do they cause in us? Whenever we're hit with a speculation that we, we don't get rid of immediately, the what if, oh no, what if, and we go with it, immediately our joy is stolen from the moment. Immediately our peace is pushed to the ground and anxiety spikes. Immediately we're inflamed in maybe anger, or revenge, or, or fans the fire of lust, whatever the attack would be. The battle is most often waged in our thoughts and feelings, and the attack comes in accusations and speculations. You've been driving around the road or just doing something random, and that accusation thought of something that you did years ago, or, or just how bad you really are is. I mean, what if when our imagination takes the bait on these speculations and accusations, and then we're just we're off in a world that doesn't exist. We're worrying about things that haven't happened or worried about things that happened a long time ago. This week or, or this day even, I want you to be alert to how many speculations and accusations actually come across your mind. I think you'll be absolutely floored if you start keeping track of the terrible what-ifs and accusations. You'll be amazed at how often these things happen and how automatic they are and honestly how much we just think they're our own thoughts. This is the attack on you. And finally, verse 17, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's word, the Bible, like a sword, right? I mean, an offensive weapon, this thing. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It, It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, where a real sword could never touch. Joints and marrow and judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart thoughts and the attitudes. The Word of God is your weapon against the enemy. Jesus showed this when he was confronted by Satan. He was tempted three times with speculation and accusation. Three times he was attacked. And each time, what did he do? How did he defend it? How did he, he use the Word of God every single time? And again, if, if we could see our spiritual armor, if we could have eyes to see our sword, what would it look like? I mean, if John 3.16 is the only verse that you really have reference to when things get hard, I mean, you're out there with a a sewing needle trying to fight a battle. It's hard to fight an enemy like that. For many of us, I I pray we begin to awaken to the reality that that we're getting consistently sniped with speculation and accusation and our armor and our sword is still child-sized. We've outgrown it. It's time to grow up. It's time to strengthen our faith. It's time to to grow our our sword by memorizing more and, and knowing how to apply it to our lives. There's a skirmish in your mind, in your heart. There's a battleground going on. And we need these things for joy and peace to overcome. God's word, the sword, is vital for every believer. God's word is the truth to build your life on God's word is is where your belt of truth grows even stronger. It's where your breastplate tempers itself. It's where your shoes increase in their readiness. It's where your your salvation, you see it's steady. It's where your shield grows larger. All your armor grows and matures the more that you learn the truth of who God says you are and who he is because your enemy will attack you consistently with accusation and speculation. And if we're not standing ready with defenses primed, We're just sitting ducks. We're just taking his shots. And then we're left with anxiety. And that's what I would ask you, like how much of your day is consumed with anxiety? How much every day do you deal with that? How much of your day, how much of your energy does your anger and bitterness burn? How much of your time and money goes to your vices? These wildfires are often due to the flaming arrows that just go unchecked one after another into and and to most professed Christians who don't even believe we have an enemy, it's just target practice for him. How can we defend against an enemy we don't even believe exists? You don't. You don't. I find it interesting that this is this is how Paul ends his letter. And we begin Ephesians with these immeasurable truths about who we are in Christ. And he talks about who we are as a church, how we're operated, and then families and people. And then he finally closes by reminding the reader that our battle is not horizontal. The people that you think are your enemies on TV or in your work or in your life are not your enemy. But that there's a spiritual battle actually afoot. That we have specific marching orders on how to defend ourselves from these attacks that are inevitable daily. And here's the bottom line. If the statistics are true, most of you listening don't believe this sermon. Most of you listening to this don't believe that you have an enemy. And therefore, you don't believe we have a spiritual battle like Paul's talking about. I am not here to convince you. I'm simply revealing what God's Word says about the matter. How you choose to stand on this issue says everything about who is the authority in your life because God's Word is absolutely clear. This is an opportunity for you to reaffirm God is the final say in your spiritual life. This is an opportunity to, to take his sword and what it says about spiritual battle and enemy and begin to adjust your life to his truth. That's how you grow your shield of faith, by trusting his truth, especially when it's awkward or it's not comfortable. It's always not, listen, we're comfortable with angels, but we're not so comfortable with a with devil. But faith is, is, is believing and trusting when it's not comfortable. And it could be that today, Maybe you're here and you're reminded that there's a lot at at stake here. That there is a battle. That there's more happening around us than we ever are aware of. And that, yeah, I've been getting sniped by anxiety and by anger and by lust and by vice. I'm just a sitting duck. The more you become aware of the battle for your heart and your mind, the more you can begin to resist God's enemy. And this is our assignment for this week. This is what I want us to, to, to focus on. Be alert and be vigilant in the thoughts that come sniping into your mind. like Begin to keep track of them. It could be a speculation. What if this bad thing happens or an accusation? You are such a fill in the blank. Both of those thoughts, let me just tell you something, they don't originate in heaven. God's not like, yeah, send him that one, make him feel bad, make her feel terrible. Those thoughts don't come from heaven. and and both of those thoughts it's not like you're like polishing them off yeah let's have the my kid has cancer thought again i love that one or or yeah let's let's speculate if my my wife is cheating on me that's a fun one to think about it's not like you want to pull these out and, and think about them perhaps perhaps these speculations and accusations are what god's word says and they have a far darker origin and here's the great news you're only a casualty you're only a victim if you're not fighting. And you can change that. The moment you awaken to the fact that you're actually in a war, you can begin to resist. You can begin to stand, as Paul says. And whether once was just constant speculation that led to anxiety and constant accusation that led to shame, you can begin to stand on peace in the face of anxiety. You can begin to stand on God's forgiveness and joy that he gets to say who you are, not your past. And no matter what evidence the enemy brings in, remember when he did this? Oh, remember when he did that? You can remind him that that evidence was taken care of by the work of Jesus and that God defined you, not that. It's important to know God's word on these things. Where there used to be an assault on your, on your identity, and so, so many of us have a, just an, a diminished identity from all the shame and the guilt As we begin to fight this, as we begin to learn who God says we are and who He is, listen, we can begin to live a a life according to our calling, as God created us to. There is hope, there is victory, and there is freedom in this. On the other side of rising up and taking your fighting stance, the first thing you do, your posture determines your purpose. It's time to rise up and take a posture against the assault of the enemy. John 10.10 says this, so this is Jesus talking. Your enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. I want to live in the second half of that verse, life and life to the full. But it requires standing firm against the first half of the verse. It's hard to have life and life to the full when you are being, your joy is being stolen, your peace is being killed, and the shame is destroying you. Orchard, this week, this very day, begin to be aware, begin to be on guard of the speculations and accusations that will come against you. Count them. Start a tally. You'll be amazed at the barrage you live under every day. And as we begin to awaken to this battle, I want to challenge you to come back to Ephesians 6. Once you can see like, oh yeah, this is real. This is really happening to me. I am assaulted by speculation and accusation. Come back to Ephesians 6 and read it again because it's time to suit up. It's time to, it's time to defend and rise up. It's time to resist the enemy. And when we do, the Bible states that he will flee. Put on the full armor of God so that when the attack of the enemy comes at you, You can stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand, stand firm. And then in 2 Timothy, Paul echoes this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. And that's what we want is to fight the good fight, to keep our faith, to stand firm. Orchard. May you be blessed in Jesus' name this week. May the Spirit of God bring to mind and reveal to you the, the absolute truth that there is a battle and that your head and your heart is the battleground and that there is an enemy who loves to torment you with anxiety and shame. And may God, may He bless you with eyes to see. I'm praying that, you, that we, we grow up in the new armor, uh, new swords, and we, all that. I'm praying for you. As always, I love you. Love God and love people.